dynamite. Take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, 24. Would you stand with me as we read just one verse, Matthew 24, 21. Matthew 24 and verse 21. Begin. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Let's pray. Not one word, Lord, in your Bible is accidental or extra. When you say such things as this, it needs to catch our attention where we realize great tribulation means great, horrific, um, awful trouble on this world, like never before and never will be after. So when you describe these things, they're not just for information. It is supposed to scare us. It is supposed to remind us that the wrath of God is coming. And the world is not ready. And a lot of Christians are asleep. So we learn these things, God. We learn them because you put them in your book. And we learn them because it does motivate us. It helps us to realize, I don't want anybody to face this. So, Lord, help us to learn, listen, and act on the truth that the time's almost up. I don't know how much longer we got. I think we're supposed to live like today. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And I pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Okay. Now, Bible prophecy is being fulfilled before our eyes. I'm not even going to go over all the stuff that I've been going over for the past several weeks. But just as the Bible has predicted, the world is getting closer and closer to the end of this age. Everything is changing at an impossible speeds. I remember when I first bought... Uh, a, my own, uh, a computer, and I remember how much it cost me. This thing had a, it had a, a 10 megabyte hard drive, and it had a floppy drive. And I thought it was the speed demon. I thought it was fantastic. And then the next year, there was something that was twice the speed, and had 100 megabytes. And then the next year, there was, there was 500 megabyte hard drives, and then one gigabyte hard drives. I mean, you have more gigabytes in your phone than most computers did just 10, 15 years ago. Everything has been changing at impossible speeds in technology, climate, world travel, the internet. Everything is just going through the roof, just as the Bible said. Things would happen more and more. It's not that there are storms. The question is, there are more storms more often than ever before. Now, where is all this heading? As we've learned, we're heading into a time called Daniel's 70th week. It's also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. It's also known as the time of the end in the Bible. Use the term tribulation, and you know about the term Armageddon. All of these are going to be a time when, when the world is going to face God's wrath. Do you remember John the Baptist, when he was up there and he had crowds of tens of thousands of people hanging on his every word, and he saw Pharisees, and he saw Sadducees, and he saw soldiers, and he saw people queuing up, and he says, wait a minute. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So there's a sense at that time they knew things are building to something. It was the coming of the Messiah. And, and he says, who's warned you? And I kind of am glad that some people pick up on things happening 
in a world around us, but not everybody does. And it's my job to get you worried about where the world is going because it is facing God's wrath. Now, by way of background, we're talking about seven years of tribulation. You're probably tired of hearing me say this, but it's been predicted over and over. We're going to leave Matthew for a moment. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We have a Bible study tonight, 2 Peter 3 and verse 3. But you know, people getting tired of hearing about the end times, and I don't preach a lot about it, you know that. But when I spend six weeks like this and talk, talk about this stuff with some breaks in the middle of the thing, don't get tired of it because even the Bible predicted you being tired of it. <laughs> Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, mockers, walking after their own lusts, and guess what they say? Well, where is the promise of his coming? So you're, you're, you may get tired of this and you go, well, I don't believe it. That's fine. The Bible talked about you already. But things, let's see, did I get said, Nope, hold on to that. Things will not get better through science and politics and robots and Bitcoin. As a matter of fact, the more, the more they try, science tries to fix problems, the more problems they make. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, back to the left. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. <clears throat> yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're going to get in trouble for living for God. Verse 13. But evil men and seducers, hence uh, Epstein, what's his first name? Larry Epstein or whatever his filthy name is. Evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. Do you read that? Deceiving and being deceived themselves. So what does the Bible tell us about the future? It's only going to get worse and Christians are going to suffer the most. Now what tribulation means? Tribulation is one of those old words that just means trouble. But it means more than trouble. It means a thrashing. It means affliction, misery, distress, pain and torment like never before. It is seven years of the worst disasters ever imaginable on a worldwide scale. Until Christ comes back in Armageddon, Jesus said, Great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world. And there were some disasters recorded in the Bible and in history that tell you about a worldwide flood. How disastrous was the worldwide flood? Disastrous. And yet Jesus said, That's not as bad as it's going to be during the tribulation. So somebody says, oh, I'm going through the tribulation. It's just like people saying, oh, I'm in hell. You are not in hell yet. You have no idea. You can't even comprehend how bad this world is going to rock and roll under the tribulation. The Bible refers to it as the time of Jacob's trouble. I want you to go there. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah. So I, uh, Isaiah, then Jeremiah chapter 30. In verse 7, Isaiah chapter 30, say Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7. Alas, for that day is great. You see that word great? When we think of the word great, what do we think of? Good, awesome, ooh, it's great. But when, he's, when the Bible says great, what do you think he means? Significant, oh boy, get, get buried to be precise. Yeah. 
but big. Great just means overwhelming. And it says this, alas, for that day is, remember Jesus called it the great tribulation. Here we are. That day is great so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but thankfully he shall be saved out of it. You do know who Jacob is, don't you? You do know that Jacob is the name that the, the grandson of Abraham had. Remember, it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's the, 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 the natural name, the, the, the given name of a man who was ungodly, who was carnal, who only lived for himself. Um, where's my thought here? It was that his name before he got converted, before his name was changed to Israel. So the tribulation is a time when the physical descendants of Jacob are going to experience troubles and pain and affliction like never before in history so that they get saved. And that's the point. Um, Jacob is going to experience trouble like never before. He's not talking about Christians experiencing trouble. He's not talking about the church going through the tribulation. It's about the nation of Israel. Now, there are two sections to the tribulation. I've already showed you this. I've talked about it. I don't know uh, what I can do except try to just develop your understanding of the thing. And if this is not big enough, I don't know what to do. But we're just, we're just going to mark it at the start of the tribulation and the end of the tribulation. I need somebody to tell me what marks the end of the tribulation. Somebody raise your hand besides Andrew. Besides Jennifer. <laughs> what marks the end of the seven years? Paul? Armageddon. So let's mark that up here. Armageddon basically is the battle in Megiddo where the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and wipes out his enemies. That's the end of the tribulation. So we have seven years before that date. And the tribulation is divided into two sections of three, now I'm doing backwards, of three and a half years. If I can do my bracket right. One and two. So there's three and a half here and three and one half here. And when you, when you start to put these pieces of what's described in the book of Revelation into their right place, you come away with an awe of how God works and how amazing it is that anybody gets saved. So, um, we are, we're in two different sections. There, there are two sections to the tribulation. The first half, this first half, is a buildup. We have four, four, we call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We know about those guys. All right? Those four horsemen start off and they race through the entire period of time called the tribulation. Now, when they are, when, when, when um, these four horsemen that are described in Revelation chapter 6 on, all the way to uh, Revelation chapter 19, when they're at work, you have disaster after disaster, but one guy stands out. He's the first one. He rides a white horse, and who is he? Somebody want to take a guess. Who is he? All right, Andrew. He's the Antichrist. He's, he's riding on that horse. He goes forth to conquer, but without weapons. And he takes over the entire world. So we have the Antichrist starting this thing. And if you were to mark this thing, he has no power at the beginning. And over time, 
he builds up to a point where he takes over the entire world at the middle of the tribulation. Um, he, he establishes a covenant of world peace. He, he enables the rebuilding of a Jewish temple in Jerusalem. He, uh, he gets the, the Jews and the Muslims to sit down and to agree to such a thing. And I believe me, if a Jew steps out of line on one section of the Temple Mount that they're not allowed on, Jerusalem goes into a, 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 a war zone. So to get that to happen, only the Antichrist will be able to do that. But right in the middle of the tribulation comes something called the abomination of desolation. Go to, uh, uh, you're in Jeremiah, go to the right, find Daniel. After Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 9. Now all of this will give us some background where we start to look at these, at some of these particulars here in just a moment. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. <clears throat> Daniel 9, 24 says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. That doesn't sound like very long, but he doesn't talk about just 70 weeks of days. He's talking about 70 weeks of years. And a week is seven, so 70 times seven is how many mathematicians? 490. So 490 years are determined upon that people. I'll give you one guess, and let me just go ahead, keep going there. Upon thy, thy holy city, what's the holy city of Israel? Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, so that sin stops. To make an end of sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy so we don't need them anymore, and to anoint the most holy. Sounds like a great deal. Daniel is reading this, saying we only got 490 more years, and then boom, everything's going to be great. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Now you're learning about Ezra and Nehemiah. From that time until... Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Somebody, what's three score? It's 60. A score is 20. So three times two, 20 is 60. So 62 and seven is, I don't know, the Bible's got some math in it. You didn't know that. 69 weeks is what he says. From, uh, uh, until Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The street is going to be built again in Jerusalem, and the wall even in trouble sometimes. That's the book of Nehemiah. And after those latter three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be crowned. Is that what it says? No, he's cut off. What did, what did Jesus' disciples think was going to happen with Jesus? What did they believe that Jesus was going to become? King. Peter says, I will stand by you. I will not let anybody hurt you. Over my dead body, Jesus, nobody's going to fight you. Nobody. And Jesus said, you're going to actually end up denying me. And, and Peter was offended that Jesus would not fight and that was allowing himself to be beat up and then tortured and then murdered on the cross. It says, and after three scores and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, be killed, but not for himself. He will do nothing to deserve it. And the people of the prince that shall come, who's that? That's the Antichrist. We've got Messiah the prince, and then we have another prince who's a, who's a fraud. He's an Antichrist. He's, a, um, uh, he's, he's an actor. It says, and the people of the prince that shall come, 
shall destroy the city after it's been rebuilt and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood unto the end of the war. Desolations are determined. And he, the prince that shall come, the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. How long is a week in years? Seven years. There's our tribulation. And in the midst of the week, right in the middle, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation, the worship, to cease, right in the middle. And for the overspreading of two words, watch it, of abominations, he shall make it what? Desolate. There's our words that Jesus uses in Matthew. The overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation, which is the Armageddon, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. All right. So, the abomination of desolation happens right in the middle, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Then we go into the second half. By this time, the Antichrist sets himself up as king of the world, and then begins the great tribulation. So what are we going to call this first half of the tribulation? Jesus just calls it the tribulation. So that's what we're going to call it. Now, you can say the whole thing is a tribulation, and that's right. But what's this last half called? What does Jesus call it? The great tribulation. Meaning, what did you say, Barry? Substantial? Or significant? It just doesn't have a punch to it. i got to find a better word than significant tribulation. All right. So which one will have more disasters in it? Give me one guess. The great, all right? The worst tribulation. All right. What's going to be happening in the second half? We read about that in Matthew chapter 24. The earth will go out of control with famines and earthquakes and hurricanes. People will absolutely not. It says the hearts of men will, will melt. The heavens will go out of control. Things will be happening, asteroids and meteors and comets crashing on the earth. People will go out of control. Demons are going to be loosed on this earth. There is no movie Hollywood has ever conceived that is actually able to portray what the Bible is talking about. It would be impossible to conceive. You're just going to have to read it and go, wow. And it all ends, thankfully it only lasts seven years until the coming of, the, of, of Jesus Christ. Go to Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, 29. <clears throat> Two verses here. The Bible says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, so after the what? After the first half, the tribulation, comes this other time. It says, immediately after that first section of those days shall the sun be darkened. How many would freak out if you didn't see the sun for a time? No matter what morning. I have some friends who live up in the northern top of, of Alaska. And for three months out of the year, they do not see the sun. And for three months out of the year, the sun just goes around the horizon like that never sets. It just is amazing. It freaks everybody's clocks out. It's just very hard. But during the darkness, you know what he deals with? Suicide. The people are drinking themselves silly because it's dark day in and day out. And it says, in that time of the, of the latter half of the tribulation, shall the sun be darkened, the moon will not give her light, stars start falling from heaven, the powers of the heaven, that's physics, shall be shaken, verse 30, and then shall appear the sign of who? 
Jesus, the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man, hallelujah, coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now I want to try to talk to you. Uh, oh, I didn't know I had some of this stuff. All right. Um, I want to talk to you about two witnesses that are going to, as soon as Christians leave. Now I tried to establish this morning, I tried to show you that during this tribulation, no Christian is going to go through. We don't belong here. We're the bride of Christ. We're not intended for the wrath of God. We're not intended for the wrath of Satan. And we're not intended for the trouble this world is going to go through. Whose trouble is the seven year, the last week of those 490 years? Whose trouble is that for? Jacob. I am not Jacob. I am a Gentile. And I'm, 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 a, I'm a poor one at that. I'm not, there's no way I can compete with, with Abraham's seed. But I'm in by the adoption of the grace of God. Just, just, just sometimes just sit in awe of that. So when we come and we look at this, this seven years, this last week, we're not in here, but something happens. I need you to go to Revelation chapter 11. I don't know how far I'm going to get. I may just get on these two witnesses and we'll, we'll just have fun. Probably as far as I'm going to get. Revelation chapter 11, two witnesses show up. Now, during the first half of the tribulation, right now, let me ask you, does the, does the Jewish temple right now exist? It's not there. Now, is God put out? Is God upset that there's no temple of the Jews? Yes or no? Not at all. As a matter of fact, God doesn't need the Jewish temple rebuilt. Guess where the temple is right now? In each one of the believers in this room. We're the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're supposed to be holy. But God, as a matter of fact, if the temple was really important to God, He would never have destroyed Solomon's temple. God said, I destroyed Solomon's temple. So the temple's not the big deal. But there's somebody who needs the temple built. I'll give you one guess who wants the temple rebuilt. It's not the Jews. It's the Antichrist. He needs a place to so uh, embarrass God and so... Throw into God's face there because he will make what is supposed to be holy so abominable. So he's going to rebuild the temple. So let's look at this. Revelation chapter 11 verse 1. And there was given unto me a reed, that's a measuring rod, like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise, he's talking to John, measure the what? The temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, outside of the temple, leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot, ah, how many months? All right, 42 months. Mathematicians, 42 months, make that into years. How many years is 42 months? Three and a half years. <laughs> All right, so I'll give you, a, just for speed, there is no temple, not there. So for three and a half years, they are building the temple until here. And for the next 42 months, the last three and a half years, the temple's there, and there's a guy, the most evil man who's ever existed, the composite of all Hitler's, all wicked people, Jeffrey Epstein's, uh, Harvey Weinstein's, Put them all into one being, and he will be sitting on a throne, the mercy seat, in this temple, 
claim to be God in doing the most repulsive things, the things that nobody could ever conceive of. And for 42 months, it would just go on and on and on. Keep going. Verse 2. I'll read it again. Oh, I, uh, verse 3 now. And I will give power under my two what? Ah, okay. Give power under my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy 1,203 score days. I'll give you a clue. That's three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. So let me tell you about this for a second here. The book of Revelation is not written chronologically. It is, it is written um, uh, kind of in a special order. So, so you read it, and it describes seven seals. That's not or, or, or seals. It's a seal that's on a document. You pop, it's a, it's a, a sealed document. When you take one of them off, a disaster happens on earth. So there's seven seals. Each, one, each time one of them pops off, a plague, a disaster. So one time through the tribulation, described as seven seals. Another time as seven vials, seven bowls, whatever you want to call it. These, these things are poured out on the earth. Another time, the seven trumpets, each time describing another disaster. It's not sequential. Seals, trumpets, vials, no. It's seals going off, trumpets going off, vials going off, all at the same time. Well, sometimes at the same time. So anytime you could be reading in your Bible, in the Revelation, about sometimes the second half, and then you start over, and then you're reading back about the first half of the tribulation. So that's where a lot of people make a problem. So there's going to be a rebuilt temple. Um, and, and in verse, uh, I just want to get onto this. The Jewish temple is going to be rebuilt. It has to be rebuilt for the Antichrist. Uh, as they say, the first temple was Solomon's. The second was Zerubbabel. Later became known as Herod's temple. But now, I want you to go to Malachi. I know you're holding your place. Hold your place here and go to Malachi chapter 3. Why do the Jews want to rebuild their temple? Malachi chapter 3. That's the book just before Matthew. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger. Who's the messenger that's going to come before the Messiah? Does anybody remember in the Old Testament, what's the prophesied messenger's name? Elijah. I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. God speaking. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come. Here it is. What does it say? Come on, talk to me. To his temple. So when the Jews read, they go, we have to have a temple so that the Messiah can come to the temple. Keep going. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in as Jews. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 2. And this is why when they saw Jesus, now imagine, here's, a, here's a, a strict Old Testament Pharisaical Jew, and they saw Jesus, and they went, that's not the Messiah. Why did they not like the Jesus that we got, and they wanted a different Jesus? Because they did not expect that Jesus would come first as a lamb before he came as a lion, because verse 2 describes the lion, Verse 2 goes on, and it says, um, But who may abide the day of his coming? Who's going to be able to stand when he comes? That's the second coming. And who shall stand when he appeareth? 
for he is like a what kind of fire? He's like a furnace, and he's like a fuller soap. He's going to clean things up. So when Jesus came, they expected him to incinerate and burn all of his enemies. When what did he come to clean out? Sin, the human heart. So that's why when they looked at Jesus, they went, eh, you can't be the Messiah, because they're looking for a Messiah to come strongly into the temple. So for them, they have to have a temple. And that's why the, Jew, the, the, the Antichrist will go, you need a temple? So do I. Let's get it built. Because <laughs> they think that by making a temple, it will make the Messiah come. Um, now the temple back there, let's go back to uh, Revelation. The temple has to be in Jerusalem because it talks about it being tread underfoot for 42 months. So it's on the ground. We're not talking about a, in heaven. And let me just say this. Can I say this? A lot of Christians think the Bible is only about them. They read the Bible and they go, oh, all the promises are mine. Well, not true. Be very careful because some of it is still for the Jews. God is not through with the Jews. And I'm going to try to get to it. I don't think I'll be able to get to my main point tonight, and that is that God is determined to turn the heart of Israel. I'm glad he went after me, but... He, he goes after ungodly Israel, and they are ungodly right now over there in the land. There is, there is nothing spiritual. They're not saved. It's, it's, we're not even talking about being saved. But they are Israel. They are to God. They are the apple of his eye. They are still his people. So um, let me rush ahead. Let's talk about these two witnesses. These two witnesses appear. Look at verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. And these are the two olive trees described in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, boy, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Wouldn't you? When you remember when you were a kid, didn't you wish you had a, a tank? or some kind of weapon that could just destroy that bully who was beating you up when you're on your way to school. I had a bully named Clifford. And I kind of wished I had a tank that would follow me to school and could just blow him up when he came threatening me. But anyway, didn't have a tank. But these guys have the ability to destroy their enemy. Verse 6, these have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them. That's the Antichrist. And shall overcome them. And what will he do? He's going to kill them. And, <clears throat> and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Anybody want to decode that? What city do they die in? Jerusalem. Spiritually right now, what are they? Sodom and Gomorrah. They're also just like Egypt was. They're in bondage. But it was where our Lord was crucified. Verse 9. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations, that's the whole world, shall, read in there, via the internet, will see their dead bodies three days and a half, 
and will not allow, will not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth, everybody, shall rejoice over them. They'll make merry. They will send gifts to one another because of these two prophets, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. How did these two witnesses torment people? By telling the truth. By upsetting. So next time you get upset at a preacher, realize maybe you needed it. And don't join the devil's crowd that just gets angry. I'm offended. Come on. It, 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 uh, uh, if you're just so easily offended, and yes, it, the whole world is just so thin-skinned, they can't take anybody telling them straight up, you did wrong. Don't be like that. You're a Christian. The best thing, the Bible says, rebukes and reproof are a way of life. Let somebody correct you, especially when they love you. Go on there. It says, um, uh, because they tormented them that dwell on the earth, verse 11, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, what are the next three words? Where do we first see those three words? We saw them this morning. Where do we find them? Revelation chapter 4, where um, the angel says to, um, to John, come up hither as a picture after the church, after he's finished with, Gen with Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, talking about the churches. In chapter 4, we're done with the churches. Let's get you up and let's watch what happens on earth for the next seven years. And it's a picture of the rapture of the church. Here is the rapture of the two witnesses. He said, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Now, let's stop there, and let me just talk about this for a second here. Uh, if you believe your Bible, I'm going to say this, okay? At some point, at any moment, we're called up. We're pulled out of here. It's called the what? Starts with an R. The rapture. All right? Rapture means what? What does it mean? Caught up, catching away. So there's the rapture. Who all is caught up? Everybody in the world? No. Only those who have been born again. You know, somebody, somebody may understand this, but it's, it's just by the grace of God that any one of us are saved. And we're never going to be good enough. There's no way for we to catch God's attention and, 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 and make ourselves worthy of his attention. And yet he wanted us. And he, and he invite, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. And when I got saved, when you got saved, we got a ticket out of here. Do you understand what I'm saying? You got the whole package. You got eternal life, and he pulls you out before the wrath starts to fall. You know what that means? How many Christians are left on the earth if he takes all the Christians away? None. But you know what God says? I got to put two back on the earth. I'll never have a time where there aren't somebody preaching. So there are two. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but for God it was enough. There are two, and he uses the word, they're not Jehovah's either. Two witnesses. And I mean, they go around and they preach, and people try to shoot them, people try to stop them, and <laughs> I don't know how to figure, how to imagine it. I just go, watch them. These two witnesses... They go and they preach. Who are they? Well, 
The Bible calls them the anointed ones. He calls them the two olive trees, the candlesticks. But he gives us some better characteristics later. Look there, uh, uh, look down there. He says, verse 6, They have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. How long is their prophecy? Three and a half years. Was there anybody in the Bible that stopped it from raining for three and a half years? Anybody want to take a guess? Elijah. <laughs> so these guys have the ability to stop it from raining for three and a half years. What else did they got? Keep going. There in verse 6. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood. Who did that? Moses. Let's keep going. Here's Moses again. And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So go to, go to Matthew chapter 17. Hold your place here in Revelation. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17 and verse 1. Sometimes you wonder, why did Jesus do this, and why did he do that? And then you go, ah, he was trying to get me ready to understand something later in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and, they bringeth him up, and he bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? He was changed. All of a sudden, he went from being a normal Joe Soap look-alike of anybody else. He had body odor. He, was, he, was, uh, a, uh, he looked like a Jew with a big nose and jet black hair. But in a heartbeat, in the instant, he was transformed in the bright, into the brightness of the sun. It says he was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as the light. And guess who appears with him? Moses and Elias, or Elijah, talking with him. Peter freaks out and says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. Wow, let's just stay up here. And while he yet spake, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And I'll just get to the story. Moses and Elijah disappear. And what does God say? Listen to my son. Because Moses and Elijah are going to talk to a people later on that don't want to hear him. But at least right now, I want you to listen to my son. But Moses and Elijah... So these two guys, these two witnesses, are Moses and Elijah. I had a godly grandmother, and then she's dead. But if she came back to life right now, she'd get a whip, and she'd start going after all these TV programs, and man, she'd be mad as a hornet at how wicked this world has gotten. Anybody, you got people in your past that really, if they were alive today, they'd get a gun. And they would just be mad and angry at how wicked the world has gone. Amen? Think about Moses coming back into this world. Think about Elijah looking at the sin that is in everybody's pocket. Moses and Elijah. These two guys get rejected, though. Verse 7 says this back there in Revelation chapter 11. When they shall have finished their testimony... The beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them, and he'll kill them. And I take, I take good consolation with that, and that is, as long as the Lord needs me, he's going to keep me alive. Amen. I'm just going to keep trying to serve God, because if I get to where God can't use me, all bets are off. I don't know how long I'll live. So I'm just going to stay right in the middle of God's will, like they did. Verse 8, verse, um, um, verse eight and he shall kill them. 
and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, Jerusalem, verse 9, and they of the people, kindreds, tongues, and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, won't suffer their dead bodies to be put in a grave, verse 10, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, make merry, shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. Question. So Moses and Elijah, did they ever have anybody come up and go, Preach it, Moses! That's right, Elijah! I'm on your side! Did anybody ever agree with Moses and Elijah during those three and a half years? Because we're not there. If there were, there are millions of Christians all over this planet. And if Moses and Elijah started preaching, some of us would go, I'm going to go help him. I'm going to go, and I'm just going to encourage him. I'm going to let them know I'm on their side. But nobody does that, because we're not here during the tribulation. Now, they're going through the first half, and I'm only able to develop this, and we got to quit. And then they're killed right in the middle. Why do you say it's in the middle? And I'll show you why. Because this guy, this wicked antichrist, the beast, shows up and kills him, kills them. And um, uh, it is at that moment that he sets himself up as God. Go to Second um, Thessalonians, just for time. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. So Armageddon is not going to happen until some things happen before. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, but I just want to pick up in verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any YouTube. Amen. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Is Christianity falling apart? Like a heartbeat. That day is not going to come except there's going to become a falling away. We're not going to get stronger and stronger. We're falling apart. I pray for revival, and I want it, and I seek it, but I'm watching it fall apart. And that man of sin will be revealed right here. He will come out. He'll be Mr. Nice Guy. But verse 4 says he opposes, I'm sorry, the son of perdition, the son of hell, who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God. So when Moses and Elijah come up, it will be like conflict. They will go at each other. It will be opposition. And he'll, he will exalt himself above all that is called God, or that is even worship, so that he, as God, sitting where? In the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The truth is this. There's no temple now, and there won't be. I don't believe there's going to be a temple even, even built, started to be built until the beginning of the tribulation. I think they're going to get it built in three and a half years, and as soon as it's built, the beast is going to come in, the Antichrist, a creature in human form, is going to come in and say, that's my spot. And when he sets himself up on that throne, it will be the most abominable thing he could ever do, or anybody could ever do, and that's when all of Israel will go, wait a minute. Jesus predicted this. Daniel predicted this. We were wrong, and Israel will flee and run for their life. One more scripture. I'm finishing up with this thought. Go to Matthew, Matthew 24. <clears throat> Matthew 24, verse 15. 
All right. Matthew 24, 15, it says this, When ye therefore see the abomination of desolation. Have you seen that yet? I haven't. But those who read this, and when they see that abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, we already read about it, when he stands where? Where's the holy place? In the temple. When he stands in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand what's happening when you see that, verse 16, then let them which be in Dublin. Is that what it says? No, it's the Jews. When you, if you're in Judea and you see that, flee, run for your lives. Let him that is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Woe unto them that are with child and to them that get suck in those days. Pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Jewish what day. Do you worry about the Sabbath? You do not, but they will. So here's the point. When some guy sets himself up on the mercy seat, which is the throne of God, and he claims to be God, it will be right after he kills who? He kills those two witnesses. Those two witnesses, people are rejoicing, and it's at that moment he chooses to set himself up as God. When he does that, the world goes, he is God. He is God. He is God. Three days, three and a half days later, what happens to Moses and Elijah? Whew. There's a rapture. How many raptures do we have now? One here, one here. Oh, man, this isn't any more good. Did you know there's two more? Right here at the end of the tribulation. We'll have to do that another time. All right. <clears throat> I don't have time to do all of this stuff, but I want to get to my point. We were going to talk about the 144,000 witnesses. Da -da 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 yeah, no, go back. Nope. <laughs> Stop that. Let's go down to the bottom. All right. Question is this. Are you going to miss any of this? There's some things that I miss. I miss the sun. How many of you miss the sunny days? Amen. I don't, I, I'm not going to miss any of that. Meaning, I'm not looking forward to it, but I am going to miss all of it. Amen. Kind of two ways of saying it. Does that make sense? There's some people that may be in this room who haven't a clue what I've preached about. have no idea. Let me tell you, I'm just letting you see into the future and letting you know the Bible says there's coming a guy who is going to be the best thing since peanut butter. And everybody's going to follow him. When Jesus came, they rejected him, they crucified him. When this guy comes, he's called the Antichrist, they will love him, they will do what he says, they will take his mark, they will exchange their money for, for a mark and a, and a number and to worship his name, and they will, they will um, uh, watch the world go out of control, and they will trust this Antichrist. And you could be part of that. You could be stuck in that thing, trying to fight your way through it, trying to figure out what is all going on. And I'm here to warn you, saying you need to be born again. You don't need to be a good person. You don't need to be intelligent. You don't need to be a theologian. You must be born again. Because honestly, if you don't know about any of this stuff, and if you're not ready for a shout calling us to get out of here, come up to me, Jesus says. If you're, not, if you're not ready for that, if you don't understand that, then you probably 
are not just biblically ignorant. They probably have never been saved because there's something in the hearts of every Christian that says, I want to go home. I don't want to rush it, but I can't wait for it. I'm looking forward because the Bible says that there's a crown of righteousness to everyone that love his appearing. Again, what I started with, but when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of, of vipers, of poisonous snakes, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? We learn about this stuff, but it's not encyclopedia stuff. This is future, and it ought to scare us into making a difference. I don't want any of my kids going to hell. I don't, wanna, I, don't, I don't wanna be so excited about going to heaven that I forget about there are a lot of people who aren't going. Let's bow in prayer. Father, just touching base on some of this stuff, looking at the tribulation, you put it in the Bible, and we're trying to understand it, but then it hits us. It's a warning that a lot of people are gonna be left behind. When we get out of here, there's gonna be a lot of people who will not be able to make sense of what's going on, and they will just go with it, and they will be damned. And they're better people than us. They're more religious than us, but they've never been born again. I don't understand why it makes sense to me. It doesn't make sense to somebody else, but I sure ask you, God, to keep me burdened so that I am patiently giving the gospel out, persistently pleading with people to be born again, to be saved, because it's that important. There is time coming when it will be hell on earth, and I don't want anybody to go through it. I don't want anybody to go to hell, but I don't want anybody to face the end of Christ, not anybody I know. So please help us as Christians take these study times as, yep, I got to get busy. I cannot be asleep. I cannot be apathetic. I got to be crazy enough to just go after sinners, hand out gospel tracts, invite people to come to church. I've got to be busy telling people, asking them, do you know Jesus? Where will you go when you die? I pray we all have that burden a little bit more tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.